The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Sparkcast, Season 6, Episode 29. My name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. We also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And uh, once again, no fact check. Well, there's, there is fact check, but we'll, we'll talk about it in context of the show, because um, Keen has sent us a bunch of notes, but we'll, uh, we'll save that for the uh, actual episode itself. So, yeah. So, Jaime, you're up first. Yes, we have wondered, pondered, and worried, perhaps, or at least I have, on this podcast of, like, what in the world is going on with season two of Star Trek Prodigy? Like, you know, it's had this long, uh, terrible history so far, having been removed from uh, Paramount Plus in a, uh, you know, tax write-off culling. Apparently, Mm -hmm. uh, it is a new home on Netflix, so the... First 20 episodes of the first season, or I should say, the first episode. Sorry, hmm, let me restate that because I'm so enthused by this. The first season, the entire first season of Prodigy will come uh, later this year to Netflix. And sometime next year in 2024, we'll get that second season. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, even though, you know, Paramount Plus has explicitly decided to no longer be the home for all things Star Trek. You now have, you know, a service you likely have or will have around that time to uh, to watch. I feel like we should, as part of our uh, our little endeavor here on Spotcast, have a meme that says Paramount Plus, the exclusive home of Star Trek, for however many days it was before they canceled Star Trek Prodigy and moved it to Netflix. Mm, like yeah. it's. It's genuinely strange. It's genuinely strange. I'm glad. I'm glad it's going over. Uh, again, wasn't my favorite Star Trek property, but I will 100% watch the second season. Uh, just the fact that there is this fracturing like five seconds after they just consolidated is very funny to me. It's yeah, weird. It's, it's and I'm ridiculous. Sure, there's like a fact check here, but it 
feels to me like the predecessor, CBS All Access. I don't think that ever had all of Star Trek because I think some of the movies were still hanging around elsewhere as like they were waiting for the rights to to fall off mm-hmm. and then they could just put it exclusively on their service. And I think they'd made the transition to Paramount Plus by that point. So I think it's, you know, a very, very short period of time to your point there that um, this glittering moment, a brief <laughs> a dust in the wind moment yeah. where it was like the one-stop shop for all things Star Trek. And now it's like, nope, I guess piracy is your only way to get all things Star Trek now. <laughs> but it's, it's <laughs> le- legit. Like you could put it on a t-shirt. It's like your exclusive home for all things Star Trek. For like 54 days like it, it that's that's it <laughs> yeah. that was it that was the entire window when that was true yeah that's dumb so so dumb i mean like yeah ridiculous i mean because like crave was just ha- had star trek on it just up until very recently and i think netflix had star trek as well it did until, yeah yeah until they clawed it all back right yep so but yeah all, well almost show. all of it what a all but one tablespoon yeah well i guess it's good news i mean you're right jaime we've been talking about how it's uh you know, been kind of hanging out there that not only was there like already finished product waiting for a home, but that, uh, you know, they teased it. They showed us a little bit of it, you know, like it's, it was tantalizing that it was there. I really truly wonder if that's sort of the the one and done of it though, if they're going to do any more, or if it's just like wrap up the whole story in season two and we're, we're out. I don't know. But speaking of backpedaling. Oh, Yes. So we have a story uh, this week about the Daredevil Born Again, the uh, revamp, reborn TV show uh, Daredevil that was supposed to be on Disney+. Plus. A good story that came out this week, uh, originally reported by The Hollywood Reporter, that the uh, two lead writers for it, Chris Ord and Matt Corman, were both quietly uh, let go after the show was put on hiatus due to the writer's strike. Uh, apparently, uh, Kevin Feige and the powers that be at Marvel uh, took a look at what they had produced so far. They had already filmed a bunch of stuff and they sort of looked at what they had since they have had time to reflect and looked at it and were like, yeah, this is this isn't what we're trying to do here. And so they fired the two lead writers and they are going back to the drawing board. They are hiring all new writers and all new directors. They do think that they can incorporate some of the material they've already shot in a logical way, although I'm a little nervous about that because that always ends up really weird when you're like, you know, going back and mm-hmm. re- like adding other parts to glue things together. It's like the Frankenstein's monster of of movie making and TV making. But uh, interesting that that they've taken this step and apparently they didn't really make it a, a public thing. They just sort of quietly said uh, your services are no longer required. And it came out three months later. But hopefully in the end, what we're talking about is a better product. I really enjoyed the Daredevil Netflix series. Obviously, they wanted to do something carrying forward some of those characters, but not necessarily in the exact same way. We obviously we've already seen Charlie Cox in uh, both the most recent Spider-Man movie, as well as in She-Hulk playing uh, both Matt Murdock and and Daredevil. But uh, yeah, I mean, not a good sign. Not really a good sign when they're they make these kinds of changes after filming for a while already does that mean charlie cox is still going to come back we're just going to rewrite yeah or? it doesn't sound like they're recasting like they they already had confirmed that charlie cox would be back they already had confirmed that uh john bernthal was going to come back as the punisher there's some uh you know some hires Nothing. that are definitely happening although I, I don't think they're bringing back uh i think they had said they're not bringing back deborah Ann wall as um karen page which is a bit of a drag because i really liked her too but mm. yeah 
it uh, it's a strange development, and I'm not sure what that says about where Marvel TV is at. And I'm not sure what that says about uh, where when we're going to see this next year. But um, I hope it's for the better. I hope that they're trying to get things in a row. I, I'm all, I, I can't decide if it's admirable that they realized it wasn't working and pulled the plug, or if it's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem like you know a positive angle that could come out of this is if the you know the enforced pause because of the strikes made them say you know what let's reevaluate what this release train has on it you know that's arguably a better thing than just like full steam ahead we got to fill in you know september 24 or whatever it was they were shooting for yeah um, if they can say you know what maybe maybe we we need to think about how we're really approaching this from you know I think one of the things that you can run into is like, oh, it's an it's an interwoven story. It's like, yeah, but like people need to be able to like watch it and be casually sort of able to understand too. Yeah. Like that's the best balance where like it's even better if you have been following every bit of media, but it shouldn't be a strict requirement either. And yeah. I know there were uh, I don't know that it's true in any way here, but it was really funny um, you know, seeing like you know, oh, he, you know, he doesn't take on the Daredevil costume until the fourth episode. Yeah. It's like, well, that's dumb. Yeah, <laughs> it's really dumb because yeah. because people are like, I thought that was a superhero thing. Why is it like 100 percent of the time? Are you sure it's not a legal drama? Is it a legal yeah. drama? What am I watching here? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, you're right. I mean, it's funny because when you mentioned that, it reminded me that for the first season of the Netflix series, now Netflix's delivery model is very different in that they dropped all the episodes at once. But Mm -hmm. we don't see Matt Murdock in the Daredevil costume per se until the end of the first season uh, of the Netflix series, but he is still a masked vigilante for like from the very beginning, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that makes sense because it's like, you know, Daredevil begins. It's like, oh, yeah. how did he become? Okay. And since you're right, since you don't have to wait four weeks to see, or eight weeks or whatever it was, uh, you can just trust that the little preview trailer, like, yeah, this dude gets into the costume. It's not just a legal drama. Like, you can see how that can work. Whereas now it's like, this dude is established. Like, you know, if you're going to have him not in costume, it's like, it better be because he's in somebody else's season, not in costume. Yeah. There, but not in costume. And it's like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to put this costume back on. Cool. In my own series, right? Like it's kind of strange because the, the series is from somewhere else, but it is available on Disney plus. So people really wanted to go watch the back catalog. They could. So I could see where somebody is like, you know what? We need some establishing shots. where like, this dude needs to have the costume on in the first episode. Even if it's like, you know, and then you flash flashback. Back from there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's like, put him here talking to Tig Notaro, <laughs> explaining where we're going to go. And then we spend the next three episodes getting there. Yeah. I, I guess the best case scenario out of this uh, is Rogue One, right? So there were the stories that Rogue One production was a, you know, they weren't happy with it. They were screening it. They went back and did some reshoots. In the end, I think we agree that Rogue One is a pretty good movie, but there are lots of these sort of Hollywood Reporter type stories that, you know, that was a troubled production. They had to go do some rewriting, do some stuff on the fly to get it to where they wanted it to be. And it turned out to be a pretty solid product. So maybe this is for the mm-hmm. best. Yeah, we'll see. Well, speaking of uh, productions out of control, um, my old art teacher used to say that every great artist needs somebody behind them with a sledgehammer to hit you over the head when you're done. Um <laughs> Ridley Scott needs one of those because he's, as you know, is in November, the Napoleon movie is coming out. 
Um, it's supposed to be on Apple TV Plus, but I think it's going into the theaters first. And he teased about how long it was a while back, like 270 minutes long. And which basically means, you know, you'd, you'd need several rest stops if you went and saw it in the theaters. Um, as it is, it's going to run two hours and 38 minutes, which is pretty long. Um, and but the, there's a special uh, four hour cut that's uh, going to be shown on Apple TV Plus. So we are going to get to see the director's cut when it comes to Apple TV Plus. Although in the theaters, you will see in IMAX, I'm sure you'll see the uh, Napoleon uh, condensed Reader's Digest version. I don't know what I got it <laughs> the was abridged in. version. Yeah, the abridged, abridged, abridged version. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because the, the, the promo shot here on this article is a picture of Napoleon uh, crowning his after he get crowned emperor he crowns his his uh wife uh, as empress right mm. and it's based on a painting by jacques louis david that's in uh the louvre and it's got to be i think it's like 25 30 feet wide by about Ooh. you know i mean the people in the painting are life size wow <laughs> yeah it's got i mean it's it's almost it's almost as it's like two stories of my house and almost as long as my house you know wow. like it, it's huge it's giant yeah so we we did go and see that one in 2014 when we were when we were there but yeah it's kind of it's kind of i think the spectacle of that type of painting that jacques louis david did back in the day is i think that's what what uh ridley scott's going for here wow so yeah joaquin phoenix as a napoleon so the man you love to hate playing the man you love to hate <laughs> I feel like I have some complicated feelings because I do appreciate the fact that streaming frees us up to do things differently. I mm -hmm. question the idea of having, you know, a four to four hour plus kind of movie. I'm like, well, why isn't it a miniseries then? Exactly right. Like exactly right. Exactly and right. If you want to compare it, like, well, it's epic. It's like, let me tell you some epics here. Cause I looked, it's like Spartacus three hour, 17. Yeah. Ten Commandments, three hour forty, which you know, with TV commercials and stuff, it's like four and a half hours, I think, on like broadcast television, you know, during yeah. uh, various religious holiday time periods. And then Lawrence of Arabia, three hours and forty two minutes. These are you know well understood epics that really push the boundary. Even they don't cross the four hour mark. So mm -hmm. um, I feel like if it had to be a movie, you know, couldn't they have? Couldn't they? Couldn't they have split this up a little differently? Like, I get it's tough. Like, you can really go deep into if you're covering from, like, beginning to end Napoleon. And, and four and a half hours doesn't seem like enough. Where You could make a longer series if you wanted to. Um, but if you're going to have it be a movie, I feel like maybe it really should have been, like, two movies. You know? It's like, yeah. Yeah. you know... Uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame were like, <laughs> guess what? Napoleon wins, surprisingly, at the end of the first one, if you don't know your history. Yeah. And then guess what? He loses right there where I'm sure there's like... Waterloo. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. They said right here, we're going to build a university right in this spot. <laughs> this is going to be the quad where this dude like lay down and defeat, you know? I'm sure that's not how it really happened, but like, you know, dramatization, right? You, you show what happens there. And you just have it as two movies. They can be two and a half hours, three hours. like. It's really just an odd choice. It's kind of a, 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 a no man's land kind of choice. And I, I might wait to see what people say because I'm almost inclined to just watch the longer version. But if people say, no, man, it could have trimmed off like 45 minutes, then I will watch the shorter version. So I, I probably won't watch it immediately. I'll see what other people do and how they think about it. 
Well, then you get the stuff like like the Harry Potter movies that were split in half, and then the last one that got split in half, which was kind of annoying, is the Mission Impossible one that just came out, right? It's um, John, just go take a seat in the corner for a minute. But um, the I swear, I thought it could have ended like five times, and then I went, oh wait a minute, I haven't done the big stunt yet, right? The big one that he you know risked his life for and all that stuff, right? But that and that so that was a, like a complete package of a movie, and yet they don't resolve the, the plot at the end of the movie. So you have to go back and you know wait nine months for the next go around to see the rest of it, right? Um, and you, you know, I mean, it's coming, it's coming to streaming, it's coming to pay pay home premiere or whatever home rental this weekend, right? Um, and so in a few months it'll be available for free. But so you'll probably see what I'm talking about, but because it it's a long freaking movie. Um, and yeah, and, and you know, leave. What was the 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 Jack Snyder, the Snyder cut of? Oh, Justice, Justice League, League, Jack Snyder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I consumed that in three sittings. I mean, I watched the first part of it and thought, I really need to go have lunch and eat dinner and you know do do some, take the dog for a walk. And then I came back and watched a little bit more. And then then you know the the supper bell rang and I thought, okay, well, so yeah, I I didn't watch that all at once, right? Um, and it, and it it's painful to do that in the theater these days, right? Because you know you want to go to the you want to take a break to go to the bathroom, like 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 admittedly, Lawrence of Arabia, yeah, it was long, but it had a fifteen minute intermission, mm-hmm. right? So the Lord of the Rings movies, yeah, they had a, they had an intermission. You can Gandhi had an intermission. You can get up and you know take care of business, buy more popcorn, you know, get another hot dog. But yeah, that this it's, it's ridiculous. So, but you're right. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd rather not have to go and see it in two two sittings in a theater if I'm going to go to a theater. Uh, which I probably will because it's, it's a Ridley Scott movie, but um, yeah, it, it, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know. It's like, what are they gonna, what are they gonna cut out of the, what, what plot line are they gonna cut out of the, like the house elf story in the Napoleon movie or what? <laughs> Between the four hour and the three hour version. Yeah, but do you remember when the house elves uprose in France? That was a whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> or when the little the little people from uh, Time Bandits came. That's through, right? right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if this is just uh, a bit of hubris on Ridley Scott's part, and he was just like, "I'm Ridley Scott. I this make is the probably his swan song, right? You're like, it's probably I mean, he's, his, he's you know... quite an old person, but then you know, there are certainly lots of people who are productive, uh, you know, at an older age, and obviously, yeah. who knows? But uh, I mean, this sounds like he was taking a, a big swing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a, it's an epic story. I mean, not I mean, how many people have who've how many people have actually attacked this story? Like, I think I think it was a miniseries if I ever saw it on TV, but I think the last time I saw anything about Napoleon other than like Ian Holm playing him in Time Bandits for 20 minutes. You know? <laughs> and well, and well. And, play, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, next up, uh, interesting news this week. So this kind of one, it, it both flew and didn't fly under the radar. So the New York Times actually did a piece on this, which I was impressed by, um, but only because they announced this at uh, the New York Comic Con, which started uh, yesterday and is continuing this week. Uh, so there's an announcement that there's going to be a new comic book imprint at Image Comics. So that is to say, uh, there's a new creator-owned sort of group of people that are going to be publishing through Image Comics uh, a new brand new series of comics. It's going to be called Ghost Machine is the name of the the imprint. The fact that this is kind of an echo of how Image itself started back in the 90s. The idea of Image Comics in the 90s was Marvel and DC, particularly Marvel, were making money hand over fist 
and all the intellectual property that these artists and writers were making were owned by those companies. And a lot of the people were like, I'm brimming with ideas. I'm selling you millions of books. Like, why do I not get more out of this? So a group of very talented creators broke off, formed their own company, and mm. it's based on the idea of creators' rights. They are collectively funding the sort of publishing part of it so they can publish their own products, but they get to keep all the IP for themselves. They get to maintain all the intellectual control. And so this is really interesting because it's a group of creators moving over to create their own imprint, working with Image, but again, under their own banner. But really significant and lost in a little bit of the reporting of this is these people are now exclusive to working in uh, in this group. And it's really interesting because we're talking about comic creators like uh, Brad Meltzer. Brad Meltzer is a New York Times bestselling uh, uh, thriller, um, you know, spy novel writer. Uh, we're talking about Jeff Johns, who has written some of the most important, impactful comics over the last 25 years. Uh, we're talking about artists like uh, Gary Frank, Brian Hitch, uh, Francis Manipal, who's who's Canadian, lives here in Toronto, uh, Peter Tomasi, Jason Fabok, who uh, uh, these are people who have worked on some of the biggest books. We're talking like Batman, Superman, big comics for over the last decade plus. Um, all of them are now exclusive to this. They're they're not going to be doing work for other companies. They're focused their energy on all of this. So we basically got this sort of image comics 2.0 of all these super high-end creators all putting all their energies into creating original content under this new imprint and pushing it out through image comics. This is a big deal for comics publishing. And it also pulls all that talent away from the big two. Yeah. So this could be really interesting. So keep, uh, they, they haven't announced any titles. They haven't announced when it's, when we're going to start seeing the first books. I will of course keep you updated because I'm a big fan, but uh, this, this will be really interesting to follow. This could be a really good development for indie publishing and, uh, and could be a bit of a kick in the butt for some of those, those larger books. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. This one, uh, I don't know. The, the thing that I am wondering is, Am I jumping on some of the imagery that they're showing here because it's something new or am I getting really tickled to pink because I'm a I'm a gentleman of a certain age and I'm like wow this really reminds me of like early 90s image stuff yeah uh, or or marvel stuff so uh, I had to look this up because I wasn't sure I was like I really got into this era around the time that ghost rider uh the Danny Ketch version was like, oh, okay, like this cool new character, Ghost Rider. Oh, it turns out there's a character from the 70s that's Ghost Rider. Like, it, it has that sort of feel. So my eye was immediately, and this is not a visual medium, so apologies, it's a podcast. My eyes were drawn to, like, this, like, skeleton glowing ghost hooded guy with, like, the Eskrima sticks. It's, that's Geiger. That's an existing uh, comic that Jeff Johns and Gary Frank did under Image Comics that are moving under this imprint. Ah, there we go. There you go. And then yeah. you you throw that in there in what I'm just going to assume is a team up with like uh, sort of Black Panther and <laughs> um, a red coat, for lack of a better term, like yeah. just a straight up British red coat. <laughs> I'm like, this is this is so nuts. I kind of want to start reading these uh, yeah. already as it is. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, to I be wish fair, it well. does say 
it does say at the end of this article that uh, April 2024, uh, the article will have in our show notes is from comicbook.com. I didn't grab the New York Times one because they have a paywall. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it basically they're moving over. Some of the people have already been working with Image. They're moving all of the ones that those creators had done because they can because they own the IP. Um, but yeah, it's it's exciting. I'm, I must admit, I'm, I've had a chance to talk to Francis uh, Manipal before. He's an absolutely lovely human being. And um, I, I, yeah, I'll be really curious to ner- learn a little more of this. But you're right; it does it does kind of have an image 2.0 nostalgia to it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, before we jump, before you go too far, I just wanted to do some real time Napoleon fact check. Just you know, bring it, yeah, folks at home. So yeah, originally done a movie done in 1927. Oh, a miniseries. Here you go, Jaime. Miniseries done in 2002. Um, there was a 20, another one in 2015. And uh, there's some one where he dances called Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, that is a different and, thing, I uh, think. There's one where he plays a dog. Yeah, so and then Napoleon the dog. Yeah, it's true. That's a different yeah, thing Napoleon too. Napoleon the dog. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So so it has been done in in those other formats. Just in case you know people. There's a Jack Nicholson one listed here too, but I don't think it's ever ever been seen the light of day. Oh. Yeah. So there have there have been Napoleon movies in the past. Hmm. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I. I similarly find no evidence that uh, that the site of the University of Waterloo does not appear to be the same site. No, it's not the same loses. Waterloo. It's Waterloo. <laughs> nearby, adjacent, like, you know, bedroom community driving distance away is what it seems to be. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall that. Well, the, the, that famous time when Napoleon tried to come over and take over Canada, right? So. Yes, yes. University of Waterloo here is uh, is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so carrying on the comics theme, uh, some unfortunate news to share this week uh, that uh, the comic book uh, writer and artist Keith Giffen uh, died this week. Um, Giffen was not the household name. He wasn't the, you know, the Stan Lee of it, but for a lot of readers from the uh, 70s through to modern times, um, he was certainly a name you knew. Uh, very famously, he helped co-create uh, Rocket Raccoon, uh, who, of course, we all know from the Marvel movies. Uh, he co-created a character called Lobo, which was extremely popular in the 90s and early, early uh, aughts. And um, he was uh, he, an artist. As an artist, he was um, very influential in the early 80s and mid 80s, creating stories for a book called Legion of Superheroes, uh, created what is considered probably the greatest uh, co-created, I should say, along with Paul Levitz, one of the, the seminal stories for the uh, Legion of Superheroes. One of the works that he's best known for, and one that I will always hold closely to my heart, in the mid-1980s when they did the whole Crisis on Infinite Earths and they rebooted all of the comic series, the old DC series, and they did a new Superman number one and a new Flash number one and a new, uh, uh, you know, all these characters were given a new start and a fresh coat of paint and, and they started them up so that people would have this new access point, which is been done a thousand times since but this was the first sort of really big reboot of a major company like this uh keith and along with uh jm dimatteis and um and um keith, uh, kevin mcguire did the reboot of the justice league and their take on the justice league was that not only was that these heroes that got together and fought crimes together but that they were kind of a dysfunctional family and it was based a lot on humor as well as action. And it was such a breath of fresh air. It was such a different take. It was 
genuinely laugh out loud funny at times the relationships between like the the green lantern didn't get along with batman and and uh martian manhunter had an addiction to oreo cookies and it was just like it was all this sort of weird quirkiness that they added into the into the stories uh that i just loved the mashup of those two things it's been done since it's rarely done as well um i i just absolutely adore that series it's just hits me in the sweet spot of both nostalgia as well as just uh i've gone back and reread it and i still laugh at, at the the way they did it um so yeah really sad to hear about his passing this week but i really heartened to see so many people in the comics community uh sharing their story apparently he was a i never had a chance to meet uh keith giffen but apparently he was a proud curmudgeon um and but then so many people have been sharing stories about you know how when he worked with him he was incredibly collaborative and he was such a nice person and you know just absolutely everything that you'd uh you'd want from somebody that creative so yeah very sad to hear about his passing but glad that he's uh he's getting a little bit of the the uh adulation he deserves for creating such uh such great material over the years i will i will definitely miss him i, I was a big fan of his work and tim you'll appreciate this as an artist, he kind of reinvented himself midway through his career. He had a, a very sort of specific visual style that he used for his early work. And then mm -hmm. he focused a little more on writing. And when he came back to doing art, he radically changed his art style. Like you, if I put them side by side, I, you would see in his composition, but not, you know, a lot of it looked very different. And yeah. it was really interesting to see how he just like you, you, may have not have even been able to recognize that it was the same person it was really interesting that he just completely changed and people thought like oh like did he die and somebody else is using his name like it was so different um <laughs> yeah, but i yeah. really love both styles so yeah really neat yeah that is that actually is something that's happened in 20th century art that that artists do change as they get older and they change their style to do different things and of course there was a whole bunch of period of everybody copying you know how like oh like, it's the yeah, of stores are a good example of of bands that copy the trends right yep oh not uncommon yeah Picasso had like 20 different like periods of styles that he went through yeah yeah the uh the Lobo character I'm glad you brought up that because I I wasn't familiar off the top of my head with his art but I'm definitely familiar with the Lobo character um I think it's uh, a credit to uh to the character's design that it can adapt to so many different things. So if you just Google search for Lobo, you can see various different styles, but yet it's like, oh yeah, I kind of recognize that. So the perhaps best emphasis on this, so the, the article that Jonathan has chosen here is a very much like um, heavy metal, the movie kind of style-ish, uh, right? Kind of that, uh, you know, you know, heavy metal music kind of art with uh, a bit of grotesque and, and stuff in there. But you can also look and find stuff. Like, I do remember uh, really enjoying the take on the character from the Superman, the animated series. Mm -hmm. So uh, you heavily simplify down to, you know, like 20 lines make up the characters. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but like you can simplify that art style down, have the characters still be recognizable, visually distinct and recognizable, but feel like they fit in with a, a character who's very much almost the polar opposite of uh, of the main cast character, right? So I, I do enjoy in general seeing Superman teamed up with people who are completely unlike him, which is why 
brave and bold type stuff works when you, you put them up with a grungy version of Batman and you have a grungy character in Lobo with Superman. Uh, nice, nice one there. So circling back to here, yeah, you know, rest in peace, uh, Keith Giffen and, uh, you know, kudos for the, the Lobo character for me personally. Yeah. As a bit of a coincidence, um, there's a Lobo compendium that you can order now that's coming out next year. Uh, that is sort of that whole era in one sort of giant volume. Uh, I think it's something very, very, very large number of pages in there, but it kind of captures that whole era of that character. So if you're feeling wistful, uh, it's it's going to be available for your bookshelf soon. Um, I have one more, but it's it's related to the show. So I'm just going to talk about it and then we'll, we'll roll right into it. So, oh, sorry. Did we do my maze? No, we <laughs> no, no, but mine yeah, is really brief. Yeah, it's a, it's one that you definitely should, uh, you know, pull off to the side of the road. If you're uh, transporting home and, and watch the, the video from the, the link in the show notes, uh, here at Disney's Imagineering folks, uh, have engineered a system to make, you know, robots that can, that can move around and navigate the real world not just in a uh, like Boston Dynamics sort of way of like, wow, it's technically impressive. Yes, they sometimes make them dance and choreographed things, uh, but it's not, you know, necessarily charismatic. And, and these folks focused on the, can we make this thing move in an animated fashion the way that an animator would want them to show personality and charisma and still have it not topple over in the real world? Um, and it's like really, really impressive work. Um, and I will point out that folks in the comments said, you know what, this really looks like they're getting ready to put these, uh, you know, a version of BD-8 from the Star Wars games uh, right out there in Galaxy's Edge or something. Like if you just project how this particular design of the character, you kind of squint and it almost looks like that character, um, the little uh, robot companion from, uh, what's the Star Wars one called? Is it uh, like, like no Jedi Star Wars Jedi? What is that what I'm thinking of? With Cal Kestis? Oh, J- J- Jedi Survivor, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of games. Yeah, that are out there. He's got a little little droid that uh, looks not identical but very much like this. And I'm like, oh yeah, they're they're definitely going to have these walking around the Disney parks pretty soon. Cool. Before we go into the Star Trek thing, uh, this Mike McMahon just posted this on Twitter just before the show started. Uh, you can now get a triple badgy T-shirt. From their swag store, got three different badgies, and uh, that'll lead into the show, which is all about badgie. Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 4, Episode 7, a few badgies more. <laughs> so what do you got for your pitches? Do I pick one of you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go. Uh, mine's very straightforward. I wrote down sort of the A plot and the B plot of uh, Rutherford and Mariner must try to foil badgie's plot, his evil plot, while Tendi and Boimler are paired up to foil the evil plot of Peanut Hamper and Agabus. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I took something from the show. The uh, love conquers evil, even if you're not a meat pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'll go with, uh, we don't need no stinking badgies. We don't need more stinking badgies. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's quite the sort of quote there, because meat pipe. <laughs> can be Just interpreted for... in a lot of different ways. So, yes. so humans... Those of you, you know, for, for future archaeologists, uh, you know, aliens who come here and uncover this very show. Um, so humans, when you really think about it, really are just a, a tube of meat. 
You may say, what? Mm. No, that's ridiculous. Like, really? So what happens? Just go grab like a chicken nugget and consume it. And then think about what happens to that chicken nugget like four to eight hours later. Then please exactly. use this as the excerpt for the episode next week. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tube that goes all the way through everything else that you you're basically like. And I am and everybody else here is basically an earthworm, right? Just a tube of meat <laughs> meat with some adornments you know we've got extra adornments yes that's true but like yeah like meat pipe it might be a reasonable thing for a uh, a machine an ai to consider us well isn't it uh, it was tng right bags of mostly water why also do, true why yes. do bags of mostly water do this <laughs> yeah oh that's good thanks thanks for that Jaime. <laughs> um pew 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 uh, the scene where uh, Badgie is repeatedly shooting at the Cerritos and yelling boop on your nose over and over again had me in stitches. That was a good one. It was a good pew, pew, pew. And it sort of harkens back to um, the Star Trek Generations movie of like they can bypass the shuttle frequencies and, and do extra damage. Yeah. The, the, yep. shield, so the, the, shield frequency, the shield frequencies are getting bypassed. Yeah. Was that the board or... The board did that. No, uh, well, I see where you went there. Where like they would uh, adapt to the shield frequency, but in this case, I'm talking about the um, the Duras sisters. Um, yeah, generations. Know, oh, yeah. They yeah. hijacked Jordy's yes. yes. visor. They yep. could see the shield frequency and and just punch through the shields like they weren't there. Yeah, and ten minutes later, they finally realized that and put the shields up. One Easter egg we we missed a couple of weeks ago. I just noticed when I was watching back again was that one of the um, people. Remember the the episode with the Bajorans where they were all going crazy. Mm. One of the people in the bar was wearing Jordy's visor. Oh yeah. Oh, it was a good yeah. background catch. And Easter eggs in this one, binars, obviously. Yeah, yes, I, right up front. I didn't really see much. I'm sure there's some other stuff mixed in. I want to go back and rewatch it with uh, some of the stuff in the in the AI prison and stuff like that because I'm sure there's more stuff in there. Although I really enjoyed some of the names that they were dropping, uh, the Lord Tyrannicus and uh, Tyrannicillicus, and you know, they're they're just they're they were having a lot of fun with that, but. Um, yeah, really. The, it's it was. I like that they have been doing this sort of recurring motif at the beginning of these episodes as they build this sort of thing around the mystery ship that uh, that appears and uh, up until now was appearing to destroy all these ships. And the fact that they they have all this banter between the crew and they're telling jokes and stuff like that. And we see the same thing play out, but it's binar, so they're all talking in in binar, uh, which sounds like you know peeps and pops chicken scratch yeah. and yeah. so that was i thought pretty funny that they that they did that and again i we've only seen the binars like what three times like ever yeah but i think my, my question was though so i watched it on my phone i didn't i didn't have subtitles on which i usually do did, did they do subtitles for the binars do you know no they didn't they did not no, do they didn't, no. yeah. yeah yeah it was hard to follow but you kind of get the you got the gist because it was like the same setup as all the other ones right yep i'm gonna proclaim a loose Easter egg here, or, or at least a, a callback of what sorts that uh, Rutherford is trying to uh, incorporate grapplers onto the shuttle. Yeah. And I felt like that was mm. very Star Trek Enterprise NX01. Like they had those on there because yep. they didn't have the tractor beam. So, uh, kind of an interesting choice there uh, in terms of like a, an analog thing for when, like, maybe the, uh, maybe the lights. Beams of light don't work. So I'll, I'll be curious to see if this was 
here is just like a, a you know, what sort of funny physical gag can we do with Tendi and uh, and Boimler, or if this is going to somehow pay off in the finale. Hmm. I thought it was interesting that, uh, especially we obviously we talked about um, uh, last episode where there was this sort of will they won't they Rutherford and Tendi, you know, are they friends? Are they more than friends? Kind of vibe that the first scene back with the crew, uh, he fires the grappler and rips her shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and even though like he shows no regard for boimler's safety even boimler's like are you sure we can just like put this on a crate or something why do i have to hold this yeah the fact that it uh as an experiment puts tendy's life in danger really causes him to react yeah right? so i feel like they're mm. still teasing us with that will they won't they yeah yeah that's good uh, yeah, it's ironic too because the, the the tractor beam was invented because they didn't have the budget to make a tractor a, a grappler, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Also, the idea of a grappler in space is a little weird. But yeah, yeah. Like it did seem just a smidge hokey when they did it in, in Enterprise. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, some of the quotes, uh, as always with lower decks, uh, are priceless. <laughs> when um, when called a, a meat pipe. Boimler says, you know, uh, you know, an ensign, ensign meat pipe. I want to meet with ensign meat pipe. And he says, jokes on him. I'm Lieutenant junior grade meat pipe now. Yep. Uh, have fun with the sinister robots who definitely aren't trying to trap you guys from Mariner. Uh, again, just obviously, you know, the omniscient narrator there, uh, from Agamus, I calculated the perfect ratio of sunlight and hydration. Apparently life forms are just as easy to grow as they are to annihilate. Yeah, with uh, a sinister laugh. Yeah, with a sinister, yeah. Laugh, <laughs> sinister yeah. laugh. In some cases, for like no clear reason whatsoever. Yeah. Just that's what he does. Jeffrey Coombs is is so good, so good as Agamus, uh, and again a Star Trek legend. Um, playing that role is so much fun. Uh, unhand me, you greasy swine! Sack of chemicals. <laughs> that's another one for you, Jaime. <laughs> Sack of chemicals uh, from Agamus. That was good. Uh, we talked about poop on the nose from Badgie repeatedly. That was funny. Um, but it led to he's bypassing our shields. We can't take many more boops from Shax. <laughs> and sorry, Captain, but I just can't let Badgie boot my friends to death from from Rutherford again. I love that they just dragged that gag out. That was so funny. Um, does co-conspirating mean nothing anymore from Agamus? I just I like I like the sentiment. Uh, and Badgie, if you didn't just turn into an, an omniscient god, you have to tell us. Uh, from Mariner, oh, man, yeah. yeah. Do you have any other ones, Jaime? I had a couple quotes. So um, right up front, when the Drukumani discover they scavenge Badgie, like, I'm Badgie, your helpful training program. Which of Starfleet's many secrets would you like to learn today? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, like, uh, why is the tech all with admin privileges fully owned there? Like, you really <laughs> need to have some security. And the the tail end when you have uh, Gucci remaining where he says in this, like, you know, intended to be this really nice and normal way, but it's sort of phrased sinisterly. Like, do you want me to teach you a lesson? It's like, Whoa, really? Like, is that uh, any teachers out there? Is that what you tell your kids? I'm going to teach you a lesson today. (laughs) Turn to page 35. (laughs) Yep. Um, My, Big question for this one. So here we are at episode seven, three episodes to go, eight, nine, ten. We did get a little bit more on uh, explaining what's actually happening. And I kind of wondered if this was the case. Um, 
but it turns out that uh, that Agamus reveals to Boimler uh, that the ships are not in fact being destroyed, that they're basically spreading debris and they are uh, taking the ships, which is nice to know too, because again, we have seen, uh, you know, that's a lot of death for a show that is pretty lighthearted. So um, we had speculated that perhaps the Agamus, Peanut Hamper, Badgie, uh, AI, Gone Rogue, Triumvirate might have been one of the suspects. But now we're we're kind of getting down to brass tacks here. Any guesses on where this is headed? Oh, who? Who? Yeah, we thought it was Badgie. We thought it was Badgie for a, a bit, right? So I mean, it would have made sense, right? You know, like hmm. you know, AI, weird mystery ship, the whole thing. But now, of course, it's not just about like destruction. It's about uh, taking. We've eliminated obviously some of the obvious suspects because it, it won't be you know uh, the Ferengi or you know the Klingons or whatever we've seen we've seen them being taken Romulans obviously uh, now Binars um, yeah I wonder I wonder what we're up against here I must admit I, I haven't really put some hard thought into it again I, I kind of thought the AI one was a reasonable hypothesis but uh, yeah any thoughts no no I'm I'm, I'm tapped out on this because I thought. It was going to end up being uh, one of the AIs, and and prematurely, I wrote in my notes that because uh, it didn't turn out this way, I thought, oh, our badgy peanut hamper and Agamus, the ultimate like evil villain trio, and it it didn't work out that way. No, um, no, they never crossed paths. Hard to say. Yeah. yeah. Oh. All right. Well, three more. Let's find out. So we have some some keen facts to just sort of throw out there before they become next week's um, mm-hmm. back check. Um, Tendi didn't know about Sand in Season 1, Episode 1. Right. The Binars first appeared in TNG, Season 1, Episode 15. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Coombs returns as Agmus, Agmus, which we already knew, but he also apparently originally auditioned for Riker. Yeah, I didn't know that. But he's been one of the most prolific... Uh, you didn't know that? Or you didn't I know did that? not know that he had applied for, for the job of Riker. And in the original series, Season 1, Episode 5, The Enemy Within, Kirk splits into... A good side and a bad side. Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, and then, that's one um, of the all-time hammiest uh, early William Shatner performances. Yeah, and it says the Tyrus VI seven A. Oh, seven A. The Tyrannus seven A research station was originally seen in Star TNG season six, episode nine. Yeah, I wrote that down, but I didn't have time to look it up. So good job on. And him. also the original Exocomps were there. Yep, I love that uh, Peanut Hamper's dad's name is Kevin. By the way, that would also killed me. And then uh, some of the why why Kevin just just, just such name. a random thing for an exocomp to be named. Yeah, um, some of the badges, some places badges took over the satellite. It looks like the SS Birdseye from TNG season one episode twenty six, uh, Star Base twenty five, Deep Space Nine, or some other Cardassian yep. style spaceship. Yep, and space dock style space station, a la Star Trek Undiscovered Country. And Badgie says he might visit the Black Mountain, which was first mentioned in Season 2, Episode 3, the place where you go when you die, and he also saw a koala. Man, Keen's killing it this week. Good job, mm-hmm, Keen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is our, our uh, regular reminder. Come play in our sandbox. We'd love to see you on yeah. our channel, on our uh, Slack channel. Come come and uh, come and interact with Keen. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can, you can challenge him to Wordle while you're at it. <laughs> uh, um... 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, let's move on to Loki, mm-hmm. season two, episode two, Breaking Brad, mm-hmm. which is all about Breaking Brad. Yep. Um, I I had to go with the uh, the the setup that they threw at us, which was uh, so that the the bad guy in this one was uh, as docks. So I said, "A docks on all your houses." Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that works really well, especially the houses piece because the the actress is. Uh, Lisa Aaron's character, uh, actress from yep. Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my pitch would be, uh, you do know I'm a god, right? <laughs> mm, there you go. There you go. You all had more interesting ones. Mine was pretty straightforward of like, um, in order to find where Sylvie has gone, Loki and Mobius have to play uh, good cop, bad cop. Yeah. 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 Yeah, which leads right into the torture under the my my pick for best pew 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 when uh, Loki has is working on uh, on um, X five or or Brad uh, trying yeah. to get him to reveal the location of Sylvie and and sort of what the big what the big plan is uh, and brings in this really I again I love I love the art design of this show it's so mm-hmm. weird and wonderful but that's that sort of neo-futuristic 1970s vibe they brings in this like really ridiculous like it looks like something from somewhere between like Solaris and Dr. Seuss device mm-hmm. it just I love it I love the aesthetic it's so weird it was almost like a like a line painter from a football field you know yeah yeah so so random um, but when he does the torture, of course, he, he starts uh, open, basically opening a time door and then like squishing him inside the time door, more or less, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a good scene. And again, playing like uh, Tom Hiddleston, just you know, sneering and pretending to be the evil Loki as he goes through and tortures him was just yeah. He's he's such a great actor. He's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Any different PPP for you, Jaime? I went with the more straightforward uh, fight at the hangar. But I do appreciate the the interrogation scene is a really good one too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sylvie and and uh, um, Loki just kind of join forces and and take everybody all at once, at once right? Yeah, but yeah, not fast enough. Jeez, this is, yeah. that was grim. Well, mm-hmm. I, yeah, 
I did struggle with that scene just a little bit and it wasn't the it wasn't the action part of it it was the sort of where they were cutting back and they're like oh my god they're destroying all the the offshoot timelines oh my god oh my god and they're like billions of people are dying i just feel like it wasn't as emotive as I was hoping for. Like, obviously, the idea that billions of people are dying and they're killing these timelines is very upsetting if you're a fan of the fan of the show and and Marvel and everything else. But it's just it's also kind of like there was no like cut to dimension where like people are disappearing in a flash and people are holding their children. Like it just sort of was happening on a screen and we're seeing the emotions of the characters of the TVA, but it didn't hit as hard as I think I would have liked it to. Yeah, I agree. There's no buy in from us. Yeah, it just felt like, you know, when you see them disappear on a screen, you're supposed to be like, each one of those was an inf- like a, as rich a timeline as the one we currently live in. And so therefore, all those lives are extinguished. And of course, when you philosophically think about it, it's sad and tragic and upsetting. But when you're not actually experiencing the emotional connection to that, it's just a thing that happened on a screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the the maybe best example, because I also agree that it that didn't quite... It, the way they maybe wanted it to, that, you know, the the most effective balance of this is the dream sequence, uh, Sarah Connor's dream sequence from Terminator yes. 2, where yeah. you should be way more horrified that, like, you know, 100,000 to a million people die in the instant flash of the nuclear bomb going off. But you can't really, like, rock that, right? Like, thousands of people is just like a statistic, but one person is a tragedy. So when you see the uh you know kids in the playground getting taken out it feels more immediate than when you see sarah connor a main character get taken out and you really feel it and i feel like that's a really nice concrete way to show that so i think to your point that like there are examples from other media where they could have made the decision to do something like that as well yeah yeah for sure for my uh easter egg i didn't again i know this is one of those shows you need to watch like uh, 10 times and you need to slow it down because there were so many like posters and signs and stuff especially yeah. that started at the beginning in london i know there was a ton of stuff there but i i was just watching it through because i kind of didn't have a ton of time i know there's stuff there i'm sure that by the time you read some of the easter egg articles online over the next little bit there'll be a lot um the only thing i really caught was that bit at the end with with sylvie when she's sitting on her truck and she pulls something out, what she pulls out is the device that he who remains was wearing last season in the finale that I recognized. Mm-hmm. So she clearly, she's not like isolated in this little universe, this little pocket that she's found for herself with the job at McDonald's and everything else. She can clearly still, whether it's a device for traveling through the different timelines or whether it's a, you know, she can see through the, like whatever it is, she's clearly got still, uh, some abilities uh, that she can tap into. Did you guys catch anything else? I really didn't. Uh, the only <laughs> lame Easter egg here I'm going to say here is uh, the title is similar to Breaking Bad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Which, that was, I mean, that like was I, so funny, though. It's good, it's good it's like, play. I, I checked the box here, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do anything, anything super great in terms of finding Easter egg. Um, quotes wise, uh, I, I like Brad's line, uh, stop trying to be a hero. You're a villain, man. And you're good at it. Do that. I thought that was good. And of course it comes back and, and bites Brad in the butt later on. Um, yeah. when, when, uh, OB comes upstairs and says, we're all going to die. Oh, it's nice to meet you. Uh, again, Kei Kwan is just, he's so good at those little like quirky deliveries that that was very funny. Um, and, and Mobius again, oh, he's just such a, 
a weird, quirky character too. I'm not going anywhere until I've had to get some apple pie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yep, got your priorities straight. It's good. It's good. And he ends up with key lime pie instead. Well, he gets key lime pie the first time, and then the second time is that it's he wants the, the vintage 1970s molten lava uh, oh, deep fried yeah. McDonald's apple yeah. pie. Right? Remember those things? Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh, hi, Mary. Are you old enough to remember the molten lava versions of the uh, of the deep fried apple pies? Yeah, I don't. I don't understand what actually happened here. So, just as a, a little, because you brought it up, and I'm in a nostalgic mood. So. I don't know if it was a cost-saving thing. I don't know if it was uh, given the molten lava description, which is quite accurate. I don't know if it was a let's not get sued thing, but I used to enjoy uh, not so much the apple, not not as much an apple, more the cherry pies. Oh yes, that cherry also good too. very similarly were like yeah, you know, like like a hot pocket, you know, full <laughs> of molten lava. That, <laughs> yeah, 100%. right. And and the exterior wasn't this like you know, sort of bake, it, it's soft and cuddly. No, no, this it was, was like an egg roll. Like you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fried and, and bubbly. And it looks like, um, if you remember from, uh, the Watchmen movie, the 2009 movie, when, uh, Rorschach throws the hot oil oh, yeah. on yeah. that dude's face. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's exactly what it, what it did to that dude's face is exactly what it did to the, uh, the wonderful dough of that era's uh, pies. And then turn to your tongue when you bit into it at two I'm sure it was a lawsuit. I'm sure, I'm sure it was the number of lawsuits they got from those is why they got rid of that. I mean, that particular <laughs> dessert. I must admit, I, I it's been a long time. So, you know, obviously apple pie is apple pie. I have not had like a deep fried, uh, you know, apple turnover kind of thing like they they used to make i i'm really curious if there's places out there that still make that style somewhere there must be some nostalgic baker mm. who's making like the molten lava versions of those things yeah probably not serving them quite as hot though oh i yeah. hope not because man i still have like cringe visions when i think about biting into those things they were so tasty but oh yeah. man if you bought if you bit before they cooled down enough you were paying a price mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely had to gingerly take that first you know teeth only bite right oh yeah oh yeah but you know again i was like a pretty pretty small kid when they still had those on sale and oof, yeah like i want my apple pie ah! yeah yeah yep all right um big question for this one I, okay i love this show and i enjoy it and i'm not I, i'm not trying to knock it down but do you think this show has gotten a little too complex No. No? No, I like it. I like the vibe of this show. I just found, I found the sort of multiple storylines where it's sort of, you know, Ouroboros, and again, he's talking about, you know, the trying to sort of stop this time catastrophe, while simultaneously, we've got Docs somewhere doing something that else is going to affect the timeline, while somewhere else we've got Sylvie doing something else is going to affect the timeline. I just feel like... uh it was, and then of course the main plot, which was the Brad, you know, had had gone to the to the main timeline and was messing around with it there. I just found it. At, even I was like, hmm. And, and again, I was able to follow it. I'm sure a lot of people were able to follow it. I just wonder for the audience that Disney needs for this, which is a pretty mainstream one. The first season was very successful. Loki's a very popular character. I was thinking, like, is this starting to get a little too timey wimey? You know, uh, convoluted. Or is this well, the, just the, doc, the docs? And I don't know what those guards are called, but that that the Minutemen. Yeah, you're right. That 
the Minutemen. That, that's a bit yeah, true. That's funny, funny name. Nice yep. that. They're um they're quite strange, and and I do miss Miss Manners too, right? Um, oh, Miss Minutes, yeah, yeah. yeah Miss Minutes, she was a good, it was a good character, but um, I'm sure they keep dropping a name, so she's probably coming back at some point. Oh, 100 percent, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it is um that I mean that part. I you you're right. I kind of gloss over that part when I see it, right? So yeah, look, I'm more interested in the di- in the dynamic between Loki and and um. Uh, Mobius. Yeah, the Loki know, Mobius and the Loki Sylvie of it all are the most important parts. That's why I think the first episode worked really well because there was so much of the Loki Mobius. This one, the whole good cop definitely played off the strength of that um, and mm-hmm. then started to reestablish Sylvie. So again, I think there's, you're right, there's some very strong through lines through here. It's the it's the timey wimeyness of it all. I thought, you know, is everyone able to follow along with like all these different sort of competing time catastrophe storylines but uh but yeah hopefully uh hopefully it's just my um my over overthinking it and not uh not the reality because i hope i hope that this is uh is something people are enjoying mm-hmm. i am that's all that matters well true yeah if we can get tim <laughs> invested then we know we won yeah um okay cool i will move on to our watch list then i guess right yep all right so i'm up first I, I forgot to mention last week that i did go see the creator on the day it came out um, I happened to have, you know, a few hours to kill on a Friday afternoon. So I went to like a one o'clock matinee or whatever, and I saw it in IMAX. Um, and it was really good in IMAX. It's an interesting, I mean, I, I was going into it. I think I mentioned that it, it did seem a bit derivative and it totally is. It's a mashup of like just about every really decent sci-fi movie out there, um, uh, that you've seen like plot line, like there's a lot of different plot lines that cross over from other shows that you've seen, but it is very interesting to look at. And, um, I saw an interview with the director, the guy who did Rogue One, as a matter of fact. Um, he approached this a little differently in that he went on location and shot the scenes on location, and then they superimposed the the tech in, right? Mm. So rather than everybody running around with, you know, green screen or, you know, looking at tennis balls and stuff like that, he had them actually in the spaces. And he was able to incorporate the, because it takes place in Thailand and, you know, places like that where it's all lush and green and things. And um, so they the technology kind of like, work in real environments which is really kind of neat to see that so it was a really interesting story interesting plot line good performances blows up real good like i said here surprisingly or not surprisingly it was beat out in the box office on the first two weeks that it was out i mean it was beat by paw patrol the mighty movie oof (laughs) that was that the first paw patrol movie no it is the sequel it's very confusing uh, brand naming scheme but yeah uh as somebody who has seen the first one of those movies uh, and i think i said wow it's like surprisingly good for this obvious you know kids commercial for toys kind of thing um the the rotten tomatoes because i did check here it's like 80 and 90 some percent (laughs) for for both of those movies so 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 it wasn't just the the juggernaut of uh uh, commercialism and like we got to put these kids out there somewhere where they're quiet um apparently it's uh you know another one that they've knocked out of the park for the kind of category they're going for yeah and uh so creator also came out against saw x or is it saw 10 there have been 10 of those movies so far and then uh, talk to me, which are the, I guess the beginning of the Halloween horror season, right? So mm. or, or or Halloween horrible season, as Jonathan, Jonathan would call it. Yeah. So so the creator was. I mean, the creator was good. I'm glad I saw it. In, I'm glad I saw it. I'm out. It's interesting the way it's told, though, because it's told like a book, right? In that 
Um, I think there's like, there might've been three or four acts, maybe three acts, I guess would make more sense. But um, at the beginning of an act, they would have like a big chapter screen, which is just black screen with, you know, Chinese and English text saying the mother or the, the, the child or the, you know, the hero kind of like introducing that section of the movie. Right. So it was kind of, kind of interesting way that they broke up the movie that way. Right. So, hmm. yeah. It's pretty pretty interesting story. I mean, it's an it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's like um, the AI is the is the villain in this, but it turns out that the AI is not really the villain. The humans that are villain, of course, right? Um, but yeah, it's um, but yeah, it's definitely pretty pretty movie. Definitely, def- if you get a chance to watch it, I'd, I'd say just go in, just go in and watch it. It was really good. I do wonder if the marketing. Um, I'd be curious to know what the marketing budget was. It's the marketing I feel was. Um... I feel like appropriate for the movie, like the kind of marketing that I saw, I'm getting at the locations for like uh, this kind of movie. It normally shows up, at least for me, uh, anecdotally in like normal people channels, you know, I'd see it on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and I'd see it on like, you know, normal people television. I feel like the only time I saw ads and I did see probably several ads, the only ads I saw were on YouTube, which no, it's certainly fine. That's probably an audience, but that doesn't seem like a, a recipe for, you know, here's this, uh, you know, this spent a lot of money sci-fi type flick. Yeah. It feels more like, oh, here's an indie movie, you know, came out of Sundance kind of thing. So ironically, it was before all the big movies of the summer. Like I saw it before Mission Impossible. I saw it before um, the uh, Indiana Jones. I saw it before, oh, uh, I think Oppenheimer. I saw it before that. So it was before all this, but, but like, that's the wrong place to do it because we're not back in the theaters yet, right? That's where those, you know, like that, that was one of the definitely one that you'd see that trailer every time you went out. I don't know, if, Jonathan, if you've managed to see the trailer when you were at one of the movies recently, right? Yeah, no. It wasn't, yeah, definitely. Cause it was kind of, yeah. it was a really interesting trailer. I mean, I did link out, had a link in the show notes two weeks ago, but and I'll have a link again, but it, the, the trailer's good too. And, and, uh, the trailer doesn't give away a lot of the, the sort of nuance of the story, but, but uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's just, I think bad marketing, like you said, I mean, I think especially like, you know, I'm a paid YouTube subscriber, so I would not have seen those on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. I had to, you know, the only place I, the only place I ever saw it, I think I might've seen one on television, but yeah, it's mostly been in the theater and I go to movies, right? So I'm like in the minority. All right. So my second uh, one is just to sort of recap on what we were talking about before. I did finish Justified yesterday. I got all the way through the the last one. Um, I found the 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 short series I just did. The, I think eight episodes. Um, it was good, but it wasn't as as engaging as. I mean, I really like the character, but it wasn't as engaging as the sort of the series, right? The six seasons. Um, I think the moral and, of that uh, one is the villain was the star of the, of the first series. Yeah, well, and 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 spoilers, but yeah, because you're wondering where he is in this whole thing, and and you do get you do get a little sneak peek into his. He's sort of in the the trailer right at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Which which lets you know that this series could come back again, which mm-hmm. which is good because I mean it's, it's a really interesting character, but um, yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't do a lot of martially kind of stuff until the very last you know the last uh, the, the conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, really interesting character. It, I think Jonathan and I were talking about it maybe on this show, I can't remember, but it's kind of like the um, Kentucky version of Breaking Bad, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of like, in terms of like how intense it is and how like what is going on here. And, you know, 
the twists and turns. Yeah, and, and there's a few moments where you're like, you think you got it figured out, and they'll throw you just a an absolute left yeah. turn where you're like, oh, that character just died. Oh, oh, yeah. that person was actually evil. Like, oh, you're just there's yeah. a few of them where you're like, whoa, wow. So the big the big questions that I came out of this, and I talked to Jonathan about this in a text message the other day, was was I worked in bars, right? Yeah. And at the end of the night, when you work in a bar, you lock the door, right? I can't tell you the number of plot lines. That, like, I got to say, like, it must have been, I would say, close to 10 times somebody would come into the bar, whatever bar it was, after it was closed, and the characters would turn around and say, we're closed. Yeah. And of course, then they would pull out their guns and, you know, madness would ensue. But lock the door. Well, I guess maybe in those those environments, you don't lock your doors. I don't know. Like, crazy. There was, a, there was a bunch of like what man, like really seriously kind of things in there. Yeah. So, yeah. Good series. Good. Glad you liked it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're up. Yeah. So, the uh, first two episodes of the Frasier continuation have dropped on uh, Paramount. Oh, it's in Plus. Seattle, right? Well, uh, technically, no. <laughs> and, and they actually play with that a little bit in the, you know, the interstitial and title cards. So, yeah. It starts with the, uh, you know, the Space Needle skyline uh, kind of thing and, and gets wiped. And then eventually when you get to the main part, it's like, oh, I assume this is the Boston skyline. Uh, oh. It's not as recognizable. No, it, I, have to, <laughs> I have to take a picture and <laughs> without the Fraser logo on it, send it to uh, Dr. Mark Rubin here and be like, hey, who, which city is this? And see if he if he himself can even recognize it. Uh, but this series does take place in um, in Boston, so we do learn that uh, Martin Crane has recently passed away. So they, they give a little you know, nod of the the cap to uh, to him. Um, Frazier has apparently been uh, the past twenty some years living in Chicago with his TV show, and uh, now in. in Sort of the the premise for the first two episodes that they set up here is him uh, trying to reconnect with uh, his son Frederick, who's you know a, I don't know a young man I guess uh, I forget the age I didn't do the the math but he's like a grown adult who was born in life. the eighties right so yeah, yeah he's like a grown grown adult here and uh, you know you've got a new cast of characters uh, like the the son's roommate uh, some former colleagues of uh, of Frazier's from when he was when he was there at uh, at Harvard uh, the Harvard uh, president and um the son the college age son who's going to Harvard of um his brother Niles Crane and and Daphne uh, Daphne Moon Crane so um my take and again it's only the first two episodes and i feel like that was a really uh specific choice they had here of like the first episode kind of has to do a lot of like what the heck happened in the last 20 some odd years, right? So it's got to sort of deal with that sort of shift in in a time jump and um, the it's no longer in Seattle. We're not going to have all the same characters. I feel like a little bit, if you look back at the original episodes of Frasier, the sort of like jump for, you know, moving from Cheers to in Boston to Seattle right back home so like there's a little bit of the setup i'm like okay i'll give it a pass for this one the second episode felt like they were starting to get into more of a groove Hmm. not 100 percent sold on on some of the characters and some of the the actor portrayals but i feel like by the second episode like oh yeah this is this is definitely fraser crane right like in a new environment sure but um i didn't really 
like I was alive during the transition, but I, as a, as a wee lad was not watching a whole bunch of cheers. <laughs> I wasn't quite old enough to like really get the gist at that point. So I didn't feel the transition of like, whoa, hashtag not my Fraser crane or whatever mm. the equivalent would have been when Fraser first came out, uh, from the, the spinoff of cheers. Right. So I'm going to give us a little bit of a chance here. I do enjoy Kelsey Grammer's portrayal and I do feel like he really, he really starts to, to get into it by that second episode. So pretty sure that's why they dropped the first two. Cause if it was just the first one probably would feel a lot different uh, for that. So he ran off to Chicago at the end of the original series to be with the, the Laura Linney character, right? Yeah. And uh, do, do no they explain re- what is, what has happened there? Is it, uh, did- uh, uh, there's a throwaway gag about, uh, Oh, I can't even remember. I, I should have written that down as a quote, but essentially like, I think she dumped him <laughs> at, oh. some, at some point. And so that's where he's just a, a, a freely swinging bachelor now. This is where the whole sort of reboot culture on some of these shows, like there, it's inescapable. Obviously, you know, some characters, the actors have actually died. Some circumstances, it's that they don't want to come back and revisit these roles. But it's the it's the undoing of seemingly seemingly happy endings of course there's no such thing as a true happy ending but you know for fiction that's a satisfying thing when you're like you know he gives up his radio show and he moves to chicago because he loves this woman and then you're like yeah but that didn't work out like oh man come on yeah yeah the the thing that they can do here i think is kind of like the way that the uh cheers characters would make uh appearances every once in a while in, yeah. in the Frasier show. I think they'll probably end up doing the same. I think you had mentioned that uh, we're probably not going to see David Hyde Pierce because he'd given up the, the Niles character, but no reason we couldn't see uh, Daphne, who seems to be canonically still alive. Um, Roz, for sure. Roz, uh, Bulldog gets called out. So nice. Canonically still alive. Nice. So I feel like they could still do some stuff, and I am wondering if they're going to do some sort of joke with the Eddie character, which obviously cannot reasonably be alive, but it's a good sight mm-hmm. gag, right? Of like seeing a dog that's the same uh, Jack Russell Terrier style and just having him freak out. And the other character would be like, yo, what's up? Why are you, are you so obsessed with this dog? It's like, no, no, it, it was a thing. I left it in the past. That's yeah, you're right. They could easily do something like that. Cool. Do you have any uh, thing, John? No, I got to admit, I, it was a, a bit of a crazy busy week and uh i was lucky to watch the two shows i did all right cool all right i guess that's it for another week then jonathan if people want to get touch get in touch with you where would they find you uh if you want to find me you can find me on uh, twitter and instagram at at jpk news or you can find me on youtube at youtube.com slash at jpk and hi if people want to get in touch with you where would they find you i'm on twitter is at depth of the hair all right, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machines where you'll find me. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 Yep. And bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you 
in the future. Force 5 is over. They had their last show yesterday. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to the very last one, but I listened to the uh, the second one with the, the, the wives, uh, second one that they did earlier in the week. And uh, mm. yeah, I'm, it's bittersweet. I actually kind of, I really found, thought they were finding their groove, but uh, obviously yeah. unsustainable. But uh, yeah, the running gags about them, like trying to sell merch now are very funny. Yeah. Well, they, apparently they, they, they sold quite a, they, three printings of the t-shirt right really so, good good yeah so they actually did they did better little spoilers for the episode but they actually did a lot better than they were they were kidding about so good well and, i mean uh, it's a, yeah, the and it's a nice idea like it's really nice that these people use their fame for for positivity and not just for greed yeah and uh the ryan reynolds ads um goes to a whole another level oh nice spoil it for you yeah, yeah. all right I'll, I'll definitely make a point to do this weekend i'm still Hanging out of this cold, I, I having yeah, you sound to, like it. Having to travel uh, on top of still being a little bit under the weather, and then uh, all that, I, I just haven't been able to shake this off. I haven't had a good mm. night's sleep in I don't know uh, what year is it. So yeah, I need to spend the weekend trying to sort of chill out a little bit. Although uh, um, my wife is now also sick, and we've got tickets to a show tomorrow, so we'll see. Uh, what's the show? Uh, it's the album launch party for the new Metric album. Oh, metric. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. So you might get a call tomorrow. Just, you know, put that out there. Hey, when do you see metric? Sure, you sick. For me? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually, you know where uh, the show is? It's at uh, the old Masonic Temple. Uh, this, oh, yeah. It's actually on the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the one up in Rosedale there. Yeah. 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 Never actually been in that building. I've been by it because I had a customer who worked right next door to it. Yeah. I used, well, used to go and see shows there and then they closed, they made it into uh, like a, a TV studio Theater, at one point yeah. for a while. And now TV, right? Yeah. Some, something. And then they, they've changed it so that now it's back to being just a concert venue. They're, they've renamed it the concert hall, though it still says Masonic Temple outside, but yeah. Um, but it still looks like the same sort of old venue. If you go through this, will this is a good exercise for you, Tim. If you go onto the Wikipedia entry for the concert hall, it talks about all the historic shows that have been held there over the years. Uh-huh. Holy mother of pearl. You should see the people that have played in this place. Like, you know, it's not a big venue. It's, I think it's 1200 is the capacity. Like Led Zeppelin, Frank Zappa, like, wow, yeah. it's like, a-list, A-list bands that came through and played there on their Toronto stops over the years. Like, you know, all the new wave stuff that I like. Like, the first Toronto Cure show was there. The first Depeche Mode show was there. Like, it's it's a crazy list from the 60s onward. Buddy Guy and, like, yeah, it's just, it's bonkers. Bonkers. How many great artists have played there. Yeah. Apparently there's a lot of places called Masonic Temple. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's the one right across from the Canadian Tire, like Young and uh, Davisville, right? Totally, totally familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I had a customer who her office is right next door. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's I've been inside. Oh, it's a beautiful building. If you you can look up the pictures online, the inside it looks very like old school. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. So 
hopefully the missus will feel well enough tomorrow too. Yeah, what's his name used to film there? Um, Bullard, Mike Bullard. Yeah, I think they made it into like a CTV studio at one point, so they weren't doing concerts. They were played there. They were doing that instead. So it used to be called the Rock Pile at one point. Muddy Waters played there. Albert King, Buddy Guy. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, Jethro Tull, John Lee Hooker, and Muddy Waters. Yeah, some of the double bills are insane too. Where you're like, Deep Purple, this Lighthouse. person opened for that person. You're like, my God, the even who? just to see one. The Who, Frank Zappa. Yeah, this is going back to like 1969. Yeah, Grateful Dead. Yeah, they're still playing there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alice Cooper, The Animals. Wow, Keith Jarrett, Gang of Four. And when you look at the venue too, like it's it's to say the least intimate. It's a small concert hall. Mm-hmm. Like you'd have been on top of them, like to see the, the people jam, of that stature. The Stranglers, yeah, Iggy Pop, yep, Iron Maiden. This one of them was something for it was like uh, it was like a punk show, and it was like the Ramones and somebody else that just like blew me away. It was like a double bill, and I was like, oh my god! Yeah, the English beat played that. That would that would been cool to see. The, yeah, Probably the beat the in like 1980 would be amazing. Teenage Head, Nash the Slash, yeah, Depeche Mode, yep. Wow, it was Depeche Mode in like 81, right? Like. Uh, 82, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. babies. Yeah. Dead Kennedys. Yeah. Iggy Pop again. Yeah. Baca Seagulls. Public Image. That's um, yep. Johnny Lydon. Yep. English Beat again. The Bangles opened for them. Yeah. Boons. Wranglers again. Motorhead. Nina yeah. Hagen. Nina Hagen. There you go. Nina Hagen again. Queensryche. And Twisted Sister. Echo and the Bunnyman. R.E.M. Yep. NXS. Yep. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. The Cure. Like you said. Yeah. Parachute Club, of course. Los Lobos and Blue Rodeo. Yeah. That's a, not weird, that's a weird bill. That's a weird bill, isn't it? Yeah. Weird Al. Weird, weird Al, Al in then. like 85, right? Yeah. Merlion. Replacement. Uh, Violet Femmes. Yep. That would have been good. Yep. I saw the Femmes. Wow. First, first, first show I ever saw was the Femmes in 87. You know, Hogan again. Public Enemy. Public Enemy. Or Public Enemy. That's a different. That's a different public. 5440. I know. Uh, I know the. Uh, that family, I know that the singer dude. Um, well, tell him if he wants lots of pictures of himself. I shot them like five times back in the day. Really? Because no, I'm friends with his, his his daughter, so I'll let him know. Yeah. Oh, I've got tons of pictures of the band from back in the day. Really? Okay. Cool. I'll, I'll pass on that message. Um, tragically hip. Yep. Including a concert poster. Wow. I'm I'm on, I'm I'm just at the '90s now. Skinny puppy, Ice Cube, Change Addiction, Pixies. Men to see hat. most of these bands in a venue that small, like, damn, yeah. that would have been amazing. Three nights, three nights of the hip. Yeah. That's when it was called the concert hall. Pearl Jam. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. yeah 5440 again. Alice in Chains. Yep. Rage Against the Machine. Yep. That would have been good. Yep. I missed them on that one, but I saw them the next time they came to town. Green Day. Oh, they were there twice, the Rage. Oh, really? Yeah. Beck. Weird Al again. Teenage Head again. That would have been in '96. That would have been a sad show. Mm. Um, James Brown. That James Brown. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like James Brown again in '87. Crazy. Yeah. As I say, I I knew that it was a popular venue before they turned it into that movie studio, but I did not realize quite the history until I I looked it up because I was trying to find pictures to show uh, my wife, and I was just like, huh. Yeah, look at this. Yeah. Oh my God, look at this. Oh my God, look at this. Well, they filmed like, uh, Spectacle with Elvis Costello. Spectacle was filmed there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He did. He interviewed like um, you too in this particular case. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it was CTV, I mean, that's kind of like, that's just like a TV show, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It would have had stars on. Yep. Oh, so, so a 54th anniversary, anniversary of Led Zeppelin show. Zed? Mm-hmm. Who's Zed? Cover band, I guess. Z- is it Z-E-D-D? Z-E-D, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Never heard of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess they're like a tribute band. Yeah. No, no. A tribute to the music of Led Zeppelin. There's money to be made, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not so sure it'd be amazing to cover that band. (laughs) But mind you, have you seen Mr. Jimmy? No. Mr. Jimmy is, uh, he tours with Jason Bonham right now. And uh, he he came out of Japan and he literally, he looks like Jimmy Page. And he plays like Jimmy Page. Whoa. Yeah, and if you go online, there's, there's there's a video of him playing in a small restaurant in um, Japan or China or wherever he's from, right? Yep. And in the audience is Jimmy Page. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then, you know, he comes over and meets him at the end of it, and he's like, totally, you know, amazing work he did, good job, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, but now he's touring with a member of, like, the gene pool yeah, of yeah. Led Zeppelin, covering Led Zeppelin, right? That's funny. So if you go on the YouTube, you'll see him playing there, so. And he looks like that in ni- 1970s Jimmy Page. Yeah. One of the other shows that I saw listed on that uh, list was like a 1982 or 83 uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan show. That uh-huh. would have been amazing. I'm st- still haunts me that I never got to see Stevie Ray play live. Yeah. Well, I mean, he famously his Toronto show that they recorded was the Elmo, right? That was on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I've, I, I knew of him at the time, but I, yeah, same thing. I never went. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Open mic with Mike Bullard was in 99, it looked like. Mm. But if you he had like, you know. Black Crows, you know, yep. Gentle Krabby Jack, yep. uh, Blue Rodeo, Django Jones, Three Doors Down, Spoons. Good. As a strange coincidence, so Mike must live somewhere not far from here. Um, back in the era of 24-hour grocery stores, I used to come back from working either, you know, any of the papers that I worked at. And I would be doing my like late night grocery shopping and I would see Mike on his way also doing his late night grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. I saw him on multiple occasions and it's like, hey, dude, how's it going? He's like, oh, yeah, good, good. Like, you know, yeah, he yeah. was one of those those type people who's just sort of uh, in the community, you know, like you see Johnny Bauer around all the time before he passed. Johnny used to live around here. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. I used to see him at Walmart all the time. And he put his one, one, he's recognizable face, but two, he would be wearing his Leafs uh, like bomber jacket. Oh yeah, and everybody knew who he was, and everybody be like, you know, good to see you, Mr. Bauer. You know, thanks for everything, Mr. Bauer. Like he was just everybody loved him. He was such a nice guy. Yeah, definitely. I've seen him before, like seen him live, like at awards or like you know, puck dropping stuff like that. But I'm never actually seen him in like closer than yeah, center ice. <laughs> the one that blew me away was I I'd had a chance to meet uh, Pinball Clemens uh, professionally before. And then I went to Argo training camp and they had like the media day where we got to like play and stuff. So I, I you know, like I knew Mike, like, okay, but not like, well, um, but one day I was like at like Costco or something and I walked in and of course she's very distinctive looking person, Mike Lemons. And I, um, saw him and I was like, Hey pinball. And he was like, Hey, I know you, man. I was like, Oh my God, I cannot believe you remember me. But he was like, oh, yeah, man, I remember you. You played in that game and blah, blah. I was like, oh, my God, like, that's good memory. Wow. Huh. I've only is the only person that I've ever, as a member of the media, asked for a picture with was at that media mm-hmm. event. I had somebody take a picture of me and pinball. It's the only time I've ever done that with any famous person ever because he was mm-hmm. just the nicest dude. Yeah. I have a picture of Rick Talkett from a, but I have no, I mean, I wasn't a huge Leaf fan at the time, but yeah. <laughs> We, yeah, he was he was a, like he was the star at a golf tournament I went to. And oh, so, nice! Yeah, 
had to take a picture with Rick Buffett. Yeah. The, the one was uh, one night we got out of the star and of course the star building is just down the street from where the Leafs play. And we were in the bar. We went to the bar as we typically did at the end of the night. And um, we were sitting there and there's a couple guys sitting at the bar and my, one of my buddies goes, that's Craig McTavish. And he was doing TV at the time. He says, that's Craig McTavish. I said, yeah. He's like, oh man, I was a huge fan of his when he used to play for the Flyers. And yeah. uh, I made for your edification. This is the last player to play without a helmet. <laughs> he was so, he was, he played into his like late thirties and he was the, the last grandfathered person in so that he didn't have to wear a helmet if he didn't want to. So he never wore a helmet. Mm-hmm. And he, my buddy was just like, I gotta go say something to him. Like, come with me. And I was like, okay, fine. So he walked over. He's like, oh, Mr. McTavish, I'm sorry to bother you. Really want to. And like the super nice guy to him and like posed for a picture with him and stuff like that. And just made my buddy's day that like got a picture taken with Craig McTavish. Yeah. All right. Aim small. <laughs> I could tell he was like, do you want your picture taken? I'm like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, really? Yeah. I it's mean, funny. Uh, I mean, speaking of hockey, like Carol used to do the the ads for the hockey news, the actual paper that you know even the players read. And uh, she went down to Buffalo to the to the Buffalo Auditorium or whatever, and she yeah, was the standing there, like yeah, and like standing in the thing. And there was some you know famous hockey player standing beside her, and she never stopped to say, "Hey, can I? Can you write your name on a piece of paper?" Or, you know, can never like, just completely ignored him because. She's just not into hockey. Turned out to be Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> she told us that story when she came home and both of us were like, oh, are you kidding us? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, he was there. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. I got to watch him play. Yeah. I, like got to watch him practice on the ice. Yeah. You know, that was one of my uh, very happiest uh, hockey slash journalism memories was that I lived slash Wayne Gretzky played long enough that I got to cover him as a professional and meet him mm-hmm. and do a press conference and talk to Walter and take pictures mm-hmm. and that at Maple Leaf Gardens, no less, which of course was, a it's no longer yeah. now, now a law of laws, but um, yeah, that, that definitely is still high up on my lifetime achievement list. Mm-hmm. My very own pictures of the great one. Well, I got to get back to my project and I'm supposed to be I'm three days behind on deadline. So, all right, well, off you go. Yep. Friday the 20th. Okay, doke. Okay. All right. All right. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.